The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. Time change cracks me up. You know, uh, basically pastors and churches are notorious for just really going out of our way to uh, let people know that, uh, you know, you spring your clocks forward. Like you don't already know that, or most of you probably have uh, clocks or technology that kind of takes care of it for you. But we recognize that people, you know, basically use whatever excuse they can to miss church. And so uh, we kind of, you know, like, oh no, I'm going to lose an hour. Oh no, it's raining. Oh no, you know, I don't know. We come up with all kinds of crazy things. But um, anyway, we're glad that you're here. Um, as I said, we'd love for you to sign up for our Easter fast. We're excited about that. And uh, just, it really leads into a time of real spiritual hunger and spiritual growth uh, here at our church. It's always amazing what God does in people's lives when they choose to focus on him, uh, deny themselves something of this world, and just use that same amount of time and energy and, and pray and, and spend time, you know, devoting to him. And uh, it's amazing what God does in people's lives, what strongholds are, uh, you know, fall down when people do that. So we are wrapping up today uh, this series on uh, marriage and relationships called The Vow. And by the way, we're not the only ones talking about this stuff. Uh, I don't know if you saw this or not, um, uh, but a family in the church gave me this magazine. This is Time Magazine. And uh, they actually had a special edition called The Science of Marriage. And it says all about attraction, what keeps love strong, making the union last. And uh, I mean, it's just this whole magazine about marriage. And uh, I, I've, I've read a good many of the articles, and some of them aren't bad. Some of them are pretty pitiful. Um, but, uh, you know, it's interesting to me, though, that, you know, people are talking about this. You know, and I think we ought to as well. People are looking for answers, they're looking for help and for hope, and I hope you found that um, here in this series, The Vow. So, whenever you have relationships, okay, relationships of any kind whatsoever, you are going to have conflict. That's just a part of it. Most marriages today are marked by periodic skirmishes, you know, if you will, you know, and, and occasionally an all-out war. Now, some battles are surprise assaults, you don't know where they're coming from, and other, other battles are cold wars of moodiness and silence. And uh, most of us, though, in marriage or any kind of relationship, though, with no conflict resolution skills whatsoever, you know, we, we really don't know how to have a fair fight. It reminds me of a story of a, of a man uh, who said that after 50 years of marriage, uh, he and his wife had only had one fight. And uh, when asked what his secret was, he said, that one fight started on our honeymoon and I'm still waiting for it to end. So um, not a lot of hope there. But, uh, but Time Magazine actually says that money, and I think most people know this, money is the number one reason for fights uh, in marriage, which is why I would highly recommend um, you know, our Dave Ramsey Financial Peace Group on Sunday nights. Uh, uh, you know, this, it's, it's information that you know, we ought to really do our part as a church to get into the hands of, of everyone. Uh, but, but couples today fight about anything. I mean, we will. Big things, small things, stupid things, you know, goals, vacations, children, work, chores, leisure, sex, cars, in-laws, drinking, health, church, anything. Now, but let me ask you this. How many of you have discovered that typically the thing that you're fighting over is not really the thing that you're upset about? Anybody ever had that fight? You know, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Now, usually before I marry a couple, I will sit down with them, and uh, typically, you know, maybe we're, maybe we're in my office, and uh, man, they are hopelessly in love. They are. They are, you know, just staring, you know, at each other, 
little, these little goo-goo romantic eyes the whole time. And, uh, and over the course of our, our time together, we'll talk about a, a lot of stuff. Um, among many things, I will talk about um, areas of potential conflict in a marriage, like uh, money, and sex, and children, and communication, and family. Now, no, no joke, typically, this young couple um, that will say things like this, this is how they'll respond to these, these conversations from me. Oh, money? We've got that under control. That's never been a problem. We've got more than enough. We never, ever fight about money, Pastor Chris. Communication? Really? We talk, we, we talk all the time, you know. Parents, her parents love me. And I just have to laugh when I hear that one, right? You know, I'm like, what? You're in for it, you know. Her parents, you know, his parents think I hung the moon, you know. Children, we want a whole mess of them. And then this one's always funny. Sex? I mean, come on. That, that won't be a problem, you know. Now, typically... That is the same couple who will contact me like, you know, months or years later, and they'll say something like this, Pastor Chris, you are a prophet, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, I mean, we've already had issues with all those areas that you brought up. We, we need help. Now, I think all of us would agree that conflict, you know, is not only common, but it's inevitable. You know, families today are fragile. I mean, that's one, one of the things this magazine points out today. And, and conflict, if you're not ready, can hurt, damage, and even destroy your family. Uh, Mark 3.25, Jesus said this, a home divided against itself is what? Is doomed. Doomed. You know, sometimes I think it ought to be a mandatory law that before anybody can get married, they're taught some sort of conflict resolution. Because people just go into this totally, totally blind. And it is inevitable. You know, every person is unique. Everybody in this room, we're all unique. We all have different desires and tastes and preferences and interests and talents and abilities and personalities. And then on top of all those differences, you know, we, you have your past. Everybody's got a past. Everybody has family origin issues, okay? And on top of all of that, we are ba both basically sinful, selfish people. And so there's going to be conflict. You know, you're going to clash with people. In fact, the Bible is actually pretty blunt uh, when it comes to the reason for conflict. It basically says that for the most part, there, there is one main reason for conflict. Good, old-fashioned selfishness. Selfishness. In fact, in James 4, 1 and 2, he says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. James says that the reason is clear. Selfishness. I want what I want, you want what you want, and so we have these competing needs and desires. Now, last week, if you were here, um, I mentioned that we all have a kind of a go-to response when it comes to conflict. If you remember, there was uh, my way, which is, that if that's your response, that's typically how you, know, you react, like, like you're always right, and you basically badger the other person until they give in. You're very competitive, very aggressive. Um, and then there was your way, which basically is you kind of live as a human doormat, and you just give in all the time. 
and then there was no way, which is actually you, you never engage and you never discuss and, and you actually sweep everything under the rug. Um, you, you don't, there, you, there's not even an engagement. And then there was halfway, a little bit of a compromise where, you know, uh, you win some, you lose some, you give a little, they give a little. But then finally we talked about God's way. And I said, this is really where you care more. It's not about winning or losing. You care more about the relationship and this other person than whatever it is that you happen to be arguing about. And so both of you together try to do your best to work toward a mutually satisfying uh, end. Now, that's what I want to dig into more today. You know, how do we do that? And, and, and what does that look like? And, and I think this is going to be very practical stuff, so I hope that you'll write it down. I hope you'll share it with your friends, your kids. Uh, sit down with your spouse, maybe, and go through some of this, um, you know, if they're, especially if they're not here. Uh, if you're both here, go over it again. And by the way, this is good stuff, whether you're married or single, divorced, widow. This is conflict resolution 101 for a believer, Okay, so this applies to all of us, but it's very helpful, of course, for relationships. Now, before um, I give you these steps, here's the promise, though, or commitment that we need to make today. So, you know, remember, marriage is about commitment. Um, it's about that vow that you made. And, and each week of this series, I, I've challenged all of us to, uh, to make a certain commitment, a certain promise. And so here's today's promise. I promise to fight for our marriage, okay? I promise to fight for our marriage, and when conflict arises, not if, when conflict arises, I will fight fair. I will fight fair, okay? So I promise to fight for our marriage, and when conflict uh, arises, I will fight fair. So let's look at these steps. Step number one, the Bible says the first step to resolving conflict is commit your life to Christ. Commit your life to Christ. Now, I know, I know for some of you that sounds very cliche, but I really believe it is the bottom line of conflict resolution. I, I'm not talking about church attendance here. I'm not talking about religion. A lot of people have that today, especially you know, in the community that we live. You know, the Deep South, people have religion, people have church. Um, I am talking about a personal, daily relationship with God through faith in Christ. You see, ultimately, you cannot have peace with other people until first you have peace with God. And your relationship with God affects your relationship with other people. And the Bible says, actually, that if I'm not a believer yet, if I've not yet committed my life to Jesus, I'm in conflict with God. The Bible uses a very strong term. It actually says you're at war with God. And so when I'm having conflict with God, but see, I would take it a step further. Even if you're a believer and you are in conflict with God vertically, it is going to spill out horizontally. Now, many marriage problems today would simply be solved if everybody in the family would gather around the throne and really give their lives to Jesus and start living for him on a day-by-day -day basis. There would be harmony, there would be unity. And so I'm, I wanna challenge you today, don't put that off any longer. It is the foundation. Some of you, you've been coming to Coastal, you've been kinda of kicking the tires of faith you know, for a while, and you've been putting it off. Putting it off for weeks and months and years. Make peace with God, do it today. 
You know, open up your heart to Christ and become a believer. In fact, look at this verse. So interesting. Ephesians 2.16. As part of the same body, our anger against each other has disappeared. For both of us have been reconciled to God. And so the feud ended at last where? At the cross. At the cross. Man, what a great verse. What's he saying? And, and this is, I, I use this all the time, but it's so true. What he's saying is, when Jesus is living in me, and Jesus is living in you, Jesus finds a way to get along with Jesus. He just does. And you know, many of you, you in, in agreement, you would say, you know, before I became a believer, you know, in my BC days, okay, before Christ days, I had no motivation whatsoever to resolve conflict. I mean, we'd, we'd have a conflict, and I'd say, well, that's your problem. Or bring it on. Bring it on. But now I'm a believer. Now my faith is in Christ, and now that I'm a Christian, I have the Holy Spirit in my life. And he not only gives me the desire to make things right with other people and make things right when there's a strained relationship. But he gives me the power to do it. You see? You see, what I'm saying is you will actually be amazed at the power of reconciliation that flows into your life when you're, when you're living with Jesus on a, on a moment-by-moment basis. See, a lot of times, one of the reasons why, you know, you're so angry and you're fighting and arguing all the time is quite possibly you're not living for Jesus right now. Your relationship with him right now is not, not very good. So that's the beginning. Commit your life to Christ. Now, after you've settled that issue, after you commit your life to Jesus and you're living for him day by day, number two is talk to God about the conflict. Now, this is important. Let me explain this because it sounds simple, but I don't want you to miss this. What I'm saying is, before you talk to the person you're upset with, okay, before you talk to anybody else, before you pick up the phone and call a friend, before you post something on social media, talk to God about the conflict. Pray about it confess it to him. You see, it's possible that you're going to end up dealing with it and solving it right there. James 4.2, very revealing verse. Notice what it says. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not what? Ask God. Circle those two words. Get this. One of the because it really is one of the most important things I'm going to say today. Many of the conflicts we have in life occur when we expect another person to meet needs in my life that only God can meet and that he expects to meet. You see, many times we get into a relationship with somebody and we're looking to them or we're looking to things or stuff or ourselves to meet our needs that only God should meet. And God says, listen, I want you to ask me. That, that, that's my responsibility. That's my job. And I've heard people say, oh, man, if I could just 
get married, all my needs will be met. Anybody like to give a testimony about that one? You know, if I could just meet the right person, all my needs will be met. Listen, I don't care how wonderful that person is, you will never meet another human being who's going to be able to meet all your needs. They actually can't. God designed you in such a way that ultimately only he, only, only he can meet your deepest needs. You know, so don't go looking to somebody else to meet all your needs. You're not going to find them. In fact, what you're doing is you're putting way too much pressure on that relationship. No wonder there's friction. Because when I'm expecting somebody else to meet all my needs, there will be a little telltale warning light that will come on. It's called anger. Many times anger is just a red flag. It's a warning light that says, you know what? I'm expecting this other person to meet my needs, needs that only God can meet. And I'm asking them or me to be God. So, again, commit your life to Christ, live for him on a day-by-day basis, and then, step number two, talk to God about it. You see, these these first two steps happen way before you ever talk to the other person. And many times the, 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 the issue is resolved right there. Step number three, be honest. Be honest. Ephesians 4.25, therefore, each of you must put off, put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Now, the word put off there literally means to, to throw away, to, to discard. And so God is saying through his word here to get rid of falsehood. Start, start practicing some truth-telling. Speak the truth in love. That, that's supposed to be a mark of believers. You know, there were not people who lie to one another. And so if you're, if you're serious about following Jesus then you got to be honest. Uh, In the book, The Day America Told the Truth, the author reported the following survey results. Listen to this. 91% of Americans routinely lie about matters that they consider trivial. Isn't that funny? One out of three lie about important matters. Really, I thought about, you know, look to your right, look to your left, one of you's a liar, okay? I don't know, you know, one of you's lying to, to your, you know, about important stuff. 86% lie on a regular basis to their parents. Did you know that, mom and dad? 86%. 75% say they lie to their friends, and seven out of 10 married couples uh, lie to their spouses. Wow. Um. It's not easy, though, is it? It's it's not easy to tell the truth, especially when you think, and I think here's the issue for some of you, when you think it might hurt somebody. But if we value good relationships and we take seriously what God says, it's essential to develop the skill. Remember last week I gave you a little equation, truth plus transparency equals trust. And and you can't really build a relationship if truth and honesty are not a part, if they're not valued. I mean, what this means is that you will choose to do not what's easy all the time, but what's right. To be honest and to speak the truth in love, even if it means that for a season, it could be a short season, it could be a long season, you're going to go through the tunnel of chaos. 
Now let me ask you a question. I want you to think about this. Are you more of a truth teller or a peacekeeper? Now I think given the choice, most of us would like to keep the peace. And, and we think that if we're honest with people, they're going to push us away. You know, we'd rather not tell our boss what we're really thinking because he or she would get angry. We'd rather not tell, tell our spouse something because, you know, they'll get defensive. We'd rather not tell our teacher or our parents the truth because they wouldn't understand. And I think what, what God is saying here is that when you submerge your, the truth in order to what you think is preserving harmony, you actually undermine the integrity of that relationship. You know, you think you might be keeping the peace, but actually those feelings are just going underground. And eventually they, they are going to erupt. They are going to come out. And for those of you who are, who are married, you're just never, ever going to have a marriage of, of unity and harmony and oneness if both you and your spouse don't value speaking the truth in love. Now, which does lead me, the in love part especially leads me to step number four. Um, get angry. Get angry. Now, I know that doesn't sound right, does it? Some of you are thinking, well, I got this one down, you know? I'm, I'm good at this one, Pastor Chris. Um, you have no trouble getting angry. Well, there's a right and a wrong way. Let, let, let me explain. The first part of Ephesians 4.26 says this. In your anger, do not sin. Now, it might be surprising for some of you to know that God says anger is okay. After all, it is something that he created. There's something called you know, righteous anger. We see Jesus getting angry. We see God getting angry. So here's what I mean. When you're angry, you know, don't deny it. Instead, admit it and address it appropriately. Now, how many of you are guilty of this? When your spouse asks you if you're angry or you're upset about something, you say, no, I'm not angry. No. You know, and then, and then you just kind of give them the cold shoulder and you pout the rest of the day. Real mature, right? You know, but I mean, we do that, right? You know, you, you might be called a bottler, a bottler. You know, left to yourself, you just bottle that ang anger. You just stuff it down. To, to bottle your anger is similar to burying toxic waste. Eventually, it's going to leak out. And it will poison everything and everyone in its path. You see, anger that's turned inward seeps out internally, and you know what it can lead to many times? Depression. See, some of you are depressed today because you've not really dealt with your anger. Now, others of you are spewers. You've got bottlers and spewers. When you're angry, man, you just let it fly. You know, you just say whatever comes to your mind. You're like a volcano. You know, you just spread hot lava all the time. So you got bottlers, spewers. I think the best way to handle anger is to be an expressor. Okay, an expressor. There's a right way and a wrong way. But expressors, when they're angry, they, they, what I mean is they express it appropriately. So there is good anger, and there is a, ang a type of anger that does lead to sin. And so God wants us to express our anger appropriately. If you're a bottler or a spewer, it's very easy for your anger to lead to sin. So how do, we, how do you do it appropriately? Let's talk about this. God gives us uh, the answer in the second half of verses 26 and 27. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. 
and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, I think that's a great verse, and I think it's misused and misquoted a lot. I think what the Bible is teaching here is that you need to deal with your anger in a timely fashion, okay? Don't let it uh, fester. Don't let it simmer. I think you need to admit it and address it. Because if anger is not dealt with, it it will wipe out relationships. There's a lot of wisdom here in what God is saying. If you are angry, you are responsible to admit it, address it, and deal with it, the Bible says, before the day is through. Now, Phyllis Diller once said, a comedian from another generation said, why go to bed mad when you could stay up all night and fight? Okay? Now, that that might be a little funny, but I actually don't think that's good advice, because I don't think that's what the Bible is saying, and this is where I think this, this, this verse gets misused. Now, because people will say things and do things they regret when they're tired. I don't think that that's what the Bible is saying. The Bible doesn't say here that you've got to solve every conflict and resolve every fight before you go to bed. It's not, that's not what it says. Some issues are just going to take a little longer. I mean, they just are. But the Bible does say, listen to this, that you have a responsibility to deal with your anger. In fact, not going to bed angry has very little to do, if anything, with the other person. It's about you and your choice and your attitude. Now, I want to challenge you to make another vow, a commitment to never going to bed without first dealing with your anger. Now again, the issue might not be solved yet. It might not be resolved. But the Bible says that the devil, Satan, the one who is roaring around seeking to devour you, is going to take advantage of you if you don't deal with your anger before you go to bed each night. In other words, if you choose to carry that attitude over, carry that anger and that that mindset over, the Bible simply says you are going to give the devil an opportunity to do some really bad stuff, to to create a stronghold in your life, and bitterness is going to rise up like a nasty bile in your life. And I just think relationships are hard enough on their own. You know, they, they, they take a lot of work. And so why in the world would you ever want to give Satan an opportunity to drive a wedge in your life? You know, if you determine to resolve your anger before you go to sleep, you're going to take away one of his most strategic weapons. Now, what I'm about to say is probably one of the, uh, maybe the number one conflict resolution skill that I could give you today that could help your marriage um, or um, a relationship. When you are upset, okay, and and you've been fighting, now again, this is for people who are married, and it's time for bed, okay, sit down, and I I know this is going to seem awkward, it's going to seem weird, but, but again, you know, this is where we started this series. If you want what everybody else has in this world as far as relationships go, you just keep doing what everybody else is doing, okay? But if you want something more, if you want something better, then do some of these things. Do something different, okay? So, before you go to bed, you just sit down, you face each other, you look each other in the eye, and you say something like this. I know we're both upset. I I, I know today has been difficult, 
And right now, we're not very happy with each other. And we got some work to do. Okay, so first of all, again, you just admit it. You're just honest. There's this idea of honesty and truth-telling. You're honest about the situation, okay? So that's the first part. Admit it. But I love you. I am committed to this relationship, and I am committed to you. We are going to work through this together. So you admit it, and then you affirm the relationship. You know, again, like I said last week, you don't throw around the word divorce. Don't do that. Admit the problem. Affirm your commitment to one another. And then you pray together. You ask. Before you climb into that bed together, pray together. Ask for God's forgiveness. Ask for God's judgment on that other person who's wrong. No, don't do that. I'm just teasing about that. Um, God, zap them. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm talking about. Ask for God's power. Ask for his help. Admit it. Admit, affirm, and ask. And I know it seems strange to some of you and it seems like just otherworldly, but you know what? It is because we are. And if you want a marriage that's going to last the distance and honor God, it's the hard work that I'm talking about. In fact, if you're married and you're considering uh, being a part of our 40-day fast, i got a challenge for you. Here it is. A 40-day prayer commitment with your spouse. Why not? It could change all the marriages in this church. At the end of each day, you sit down together, you hold hands, and you pray together. Be very simple, quick little prayer. You know, both of you pray, one of you pray. You could take turns, it doesn't matter. If you want what everybody else has, you just keep doing what everybody else is doing. You want something different, do it God's way. By the way, stop sleeping separately. That's, that's, that's what babies do. That's what immature people do. Sleeping on the sofa in anger is one of the worst things you could ever do for your marriage. Stop it. You know what you are doing? You are making Satan's job easier when you do that. Separation without a plan, you know what it leads to? Just more separation. Stop it. Number five, be kind. Be kind. The first part of Ephesians 4.32 says this, be kind and compassionate to one another. And some of you, I mean, you're really good at this. You're, you, know, you have no trouble being kind in relationships. You try to think about the other person first. You, you watch your tongue. You really want your, your spouse to feel secure and significant. So keep it up. Others of you are pretty tough on your spouse. You're pretty tough on the people in your life. You know, instead of looking to compliment and encourage and build up, you quickly try to criticize and, and cut down. Somebody once said the quickest way to bury a marriage is by using a lot of little digs. A lot of little digs. In a 20-year study of 2,000 married couples, researchers have uncovered one of the more important predictive factors in determining which couples will last for the long haul. And basically it said that if you want to have a marathon marriage, you need to work at maintaining at least, the, the baseline was a five-to-one ratio of positive to negative comments. 
Positive interactions like complimenting and smiling and, you know, and hugging have to way outnumber negative comments like sarcasm and put-downs. Let, let, let me give you three very practical ways to practice kindness. First of all, stop using words like always or never. Always or never. You, you never take out the garbage. You always forget to pick, out, pick up the kids. I mean, it, first of all, it's probably not true, but it's definitely not not kind. And then here's one, number two, not wrong, just different. You might need to say that out loud periodically. Not wrong, just different. You know, it helps to remember that God has made you different than your spouse. And when your spouse is doing something that might annoy you a little bit or bother you a little bit, you need to take some time to actually think about it because chances are it's probably not like a moral issue, not a matter of right and wrong. It might just be a different way of doing something, different than you. Not wrong, just different. And then the third suggestion, two words, tone and volume. <laughs> tone and volume. Uh, most of the time, it's not what you say, it's what? How you say it. So watch your tone, watch your volume. The gift of sarcasm is not a spiritual gift, okay? It's not. You know, and the person with the loudest voice doesn't necessarily win. Ultimately, you lose. So be kind. Finally, number six. I'm going to close with this one. Be forgiving. Be forgiving. This is the last half of verse uh, 32 in Ephesians there. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. You know, if you want to have a fair fight... You need to realize that the goal is not to see who wins. Man, this is especially true in a marriage. But it's to be reconciled. And in order to put down your weapons, it's important to learn the skill of forgiveness. Forgiving and forgetting. You know, back to the love chapter of the Bible, we, we mentioned that in the series. 1 Corinthians 13.5, it says that love keeps no record of wrongs. Uh an old uh, story of a, an elephant and a crocodile. The elephant and crocodile, they were swimming in the Amazon, and uh, the elephant spots a turtle sunning himself on the side on a rock, and uh, the elephant goes over to the turtle, and he picks him up with his trunk. I mean, just wraps his trunk around him and just hurls him, I mean, as far as he can into the jungle. And the crocodile turns to the elephant and says, you know, what did you do that for? And the elephant says, well, that turtle bit me almost 50 years ago. And uh, the crocodile can hardly believe me. He says, and you remembered it? You remembered him and that turtle and that incident after all these years. Wow, you must have a great memory. And he said, yeah, turtle recall. <laughs> turtle recall. So, uh, I know, that's pretty sad. I might, I, might, I, might, I might X that one out for next service, but... But some of, you think, some of you think that's what you have, though, right? I mean, you have turtle recall. You bring up stuff that happened years and years ago. And the Bible says love keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't hold it against anyone. You might, you might bring it up and laugh about it. We do that. But, I mean, where you actually bring up things and it becomes a point of tension and you hold it against people, in every relationship there's going to be conflict. Sometimes it's handled well. Sometimes it isn't. But if you don't develop the ability to forgive and no longer hold something against people, you're not going to have a good marriage.
You're not going to have good relationships either, by the way. You're not going to be surrounded by a lot of friends and a lot of people who love and care for you. This, this uh, passage ends with this phrase. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. So the best way to learn this skill is to experience firsthand, this is where we started, firsthand, the forgiveness that comes from confessing your sin and your shortcomings to God. You see, once you taste that freedom that comes from having your sins forgiven, it is so, so much easier to extend kindness and love and forgiveness to your spouse, your friends, your coworkers, your other family members. I'll say it this way. You will be unable to forgive as God wants you to until you've experienced the kind of forgiveness that only comes as a result of God forgiving you. So how about it? We all got some work to do in this area of conflict resolution. But are you willing to fight for your marriage and to fight fair? And, and what about this? Have you firsthand experienced the forgiveness of God? Because that's where it all starts. And let me tell you something, we all need it. You're no different than anybody else. I need it, you need it. I'm a sinner. But the good news is that a Savior has been provided, and his name is Jesus. And you can receive forgiveness today for all of your sin, past and present and future, by putting your faith and your trust in the only one who was ever perfect and came back from the dead to prove it. You can have that today. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this series, and I thank you for the opportunity we've had these many weeks to um, talk about marriage and commitment and relationships. Father, the truth is we all have um, work to do in resolving uh, conflict. We really do. Um, I pray, God, we'd do it your way. I pray we would. And um, Lord, I pray for the many relationships represented in this room. Um, I pray, God, for strength and patience. And um, Lord, I pray that um, you know, couples would recommit themselves to you and to each other. And Father, for those um, who are not yet married or hope to be one day, God, I pray that they would find you, seek you as their number one, meeting all of their needs in their life. And then when that's, you know, when that's done, it's just so easy to allow that love and that forgiveness and that kindness to spill over into other people. And um, maybe you're here today and you're ready to receive God's forgiveness. Just pray something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, today I admit it. I am a sinner. I'm messed up. And I need you. I do. Father, I... I believe, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he went to a cross to pay for my sin. And I believe he rose from the dead and he is alive. And today, God, I put all of my faith and my trust in him and him alone.
And I want, you, I want to be a follower of Jesus, God. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. And now, for the rest of my days, God, I just want to follow him. We love you, God. We pray all these things today in the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.